Hello, listeners. Today is Wednesday, September 21st. Welcome to Behind the Numbers, Reimagining Retail, an e-marketer podcast made possible by Akinio. This is the show where we talk about how retail collides with every part of our lives. I'm your host, Sarah Lebo. Today's topic is all things luxury. My first guest today is senior analyst Sky Knavis. Welcome back, Sky. Hi, Sarah. It's great to be back. Great to have you. Also back on the pod is senior analyst Zach Stambor. Hi, Zach. Hey, Sarah. All right, let's jump into our first segment, news and reviews, where I give the news and our guests tell me their reviews. Today's headline is a September 15th story by Modern Retail titled, Move Over Department Stores, Specialty Grocers Are Taking Over as Mall Anchors. I think you're supposed to read it in that tone also. Um, Maria Monteros writes, American malls have been leaning into specialty grocers in an attempt to encourage people to spend more time in malls and drive sales for other retailers in the vicinity. Our colleague and friend of the pod, Blake Drosh, is quoted in this article saying that traffic spillover is not a guarantee since Blake says the grocery store experience is so much different from traditional mall retail. But Blake's not here today, which means that we get to weigh in on this for him. So, Zach, your review of this headline in 60 seconds is... So the mall is far from dead, but it definitely needs to change given that large department stores like Macy's are right-sizing their store inventory. Just a few miles from my house, there's a mall where the Bloomingdale's is closing down and they're replacing it with a smaller format Bloomies. And so the question becomes, what do you do with those very large spaces? And so there's not really a one-size-fits-all answer. It really depends on the particular market in grocery and specialty grocery in particular, can certainly be one solution. And it does have the benefit that people buy groceries an awful lot. And once you're at the grocery store, it's just one more step to get them to venture into the mall. So it's not a guarantee, but it's not a bad idea. And it's one solution that could work in some situations. What do you do with those very large spaces, I think, can sum up a lot of American retail questions. Um, Sky, it's time for your review of this headline in 60 seconds. So I kind of agree with Blake in that it's not a necessarily a traffic guarantee. I think location and placement will be really important to drive foot traffic to a mall. For example, near where I live, there's an upscale shopping center and it has a Whole Foods, but it's so separate from the rest of the shopping center that you can just go in and out of Whole Foods and not really interact with any of the rest of the stores in that shopping center. And I compare this to an experience I had earlier this year visiting Boston, where I went to the eatery that's at the Prudential Center. And there, the grocery store is in the middle of the mall. So you're really there to have an experience and discover new foods. And I think this article mentioned a couple of Asian supermarkets that have food courts. So there's really a lot more discovery and kind of an interesting experience that can be a draw for people who are more into a shopping and dining experience rather than just going to get groceries. 
I completely agree with you, Sky. I love the specialty Italian food store, the specialty Japanese grocery store, and I definitely treat that differently than I treat the general grocery store. The only thing I disagree with you on is that I think that the Italy at the Peru is one of the most stressful places to be. <laughs> Especially during Boston Marathon weekend. The lines are crazy. Should we tell our listeners that you ran the Boston Marathon <laughs> twice in the same run? If our listeners did, don't know, Sky is crazy. <laughs> I did have a break of about an hour or two to kill in between. All right. Fair enough. Let's keep moving or else I'm going to lose my mind about how much Sky <laughs> ran in her two Boston marathons back to back. It's time for our next segment. Retail me this, retail me that where we discuss an interesting retail topic. Today's topic is luxury. I'm going to start off with defining that category. So we define personal luxury goods as products for individual use that are priced at a premium and feature a higher level of quality, craftsmanship, customer service, exclusivity, and or scarcity relative to the majority of goods in a given product category. We exclude automobiles, travel and leisure services, boats and yachts, fine art and collectibles, and fine wines and spirits. And for today, we're mostly talking about the U.S. luxury market. So, Sky, you just wrote a report on luxury that's available for subscribers. Can you break down this definition in this category a little further? Sure. So our forecast is broken down into apparel and accessories and beauty and cosmetics. And within those categories, we have breakouts for watches and jewelry and fragrance, both for e-commerce and non-e-commerce sales. And the markets we cover are the U.S. and China. So these now track our broader category e-commerce coverage areas. Gotcha. And so we've been talking about luxury, something that's really interesting to me in this category. And I say interesting, I mean kind of crazy, is that luxury prices are going up right now, at least for high-end luxury. So during a time where people are notoriously strapped for cash, those like high-end designer bags are getting more expensive. Can you tell me why this is and how this might differ across luxury? So inflation is part of it because costs are certainly going up across the board for the luxury brands in terms of manufacturing and production and supply chain. And that can easily be passed on to the luxury consumer. So there's really not going to be any outcry over luxury goods getting more expensive because another way of defining luxury is that it's not a necessity. Luxury goods, we could say, represent purely discretionary spending. So what we've seen is brands like Chanel have significantly raised prices several times over the last couple of years, and they were doing this even before inflation became one of the biggest topics of concern among retailers. Part of the reason they do that is pricing power. They can raise prices. They also want to reduce price disparities across markets, harmonizing prices globally. So they reduce opportunities for arbitrage by resellers operating in the gray market and also to preserve their aura of exclusivity. So once you have a lot of big luxury players raising prices, it kind of creates an incentive for others to do so as well. Otherwise, they risk having their brand look relatively cheaper by comparison, and that's something that they're really keen to avoid. One quick follow-up there. What's the gray market? The gray market is really big in China. It's, for example, pre-COVID, you used to have travelers 
and professional buyers who would go overseas to places like France, for example, or Italy, and they would buy up luxury products. And then they would either go back to China to sell them or would ship them from those other countries. And luxury brands have wanted to crack down on this practice because they don't want their products being in that gray market as much. Sure. Okay. So we're talking a lot about this elusive high-end luxury, these bags that I simply would not dream of buying. Zach, can you break down for me the other side of this category, accessible luxury? Yeah, so the name says it all. It's accessible. You could buy it. It's not like out of the realm of possibility. It's just a little bit of a stretch. And it's a sizable share of the market. And it's also an entry point into the luxury market. So younger consumers are interested in luxury, but they can't go and buy a Hermes bag, but they could buy, you know, coach shoes, for example. Gotcha. Um, yeah, Susie David Canyon, also friend of the pod, analyst at Insider Intelligence, has broken this down for me as your accessible luxury is your coach, your high-end luxury is your Cartier. Is that sort of the gist of it? That's exactly right. Yeah, and the price increases are coming at an interesting time when some of the top tier luxury brands themselves are trying to become more inclusive and more diverse in terms of their creative talent, who represents the brand, who they collaborate with, and they've been working to appeal to broader audiences of younger consumers around the world, but at the same time, they're raising prices because they can. <laughs> so do they want to become more accessible or not? Is that too simple a question? There are ways, I think, of becoming more accessible as part of popular culture or through collaborations, but they certainly want to preserve a top tier of products that are going to be more expensive than, you know, their competitors. Is there a price line that defines the difference between accessible or high-end, or is it more of a vibe? I think it's more of a vibe. We don't have any particular definition we see collaboration, like you can say Nike sneakers that retail for like 100 or $200, but resale for like four or $500 or even more on secondary uh, resale websites. And then you see collaborations like Dior just did one with Birkenstock. I think those are $1,000 clogs. So there's really, it's hard to set any price line in terms of price. Sure. But the luxury space is largely a vibes space. You know, you have a vibe of a high end brand and you have the vibe of a, a more approachable brand. Yeah, I think that's a lot in this like concept of exclusivity. I am not going to the in-person only Hermes bag reveal. They take you into a room. They show you a bag special for you. But I do have friends standing in the Telfar line waiting for that to drop. Going off of that question... Is high-end luxury going to continue to hold up as a category, or is it volatile with economic times? At least for the time being, personal luxury sales are holding up. This year, they'll grow by a healthy 13.3%, according to our forecast, and close to 7% next year. I think after that, we'll start to see some longer-term impacts, really, of the pulling forward of luxury demand that we saw over the last couple of years. And the growth will fall back towards the historical trend of lower single digits. 
So for now, wealthier consumers are still spending despite inflation and what's going on in the markets just because social life has really returned to normal and there are all these occasions for dressing up and refreshing wardrobes. I think another area where luxury is being supported is the big boom in prestige beauty and fragrance. These are categories that consumers aren't pulling back on as much even at lower income levels. I think there's what's known as the lipstick effect, that these small indulgences still do well even in recessionary times, and consumers are less willing to give them up because they these purchases make them feel good. And I think especially the experience over the last couple of years with the pandemic, younger consumers have really invested in high-end skincare and hair care to make themselves feel better, and that's tied to the wellness and self-care trends, and they're not really going to be ready to give that up. Yeah, this is what's so interesting to me. I would think that this category would be the very first to take a hit in a potential recession, and in some ways it is. And in other ways, the most wealthy aren't necessarily as affected, and so they're still buying things. And also, during a hard time like a COVID lockdown, you still want to feel good about something. You still want to buy that face mask, that skincare product. I want to close off this first half of the conversation with something we've sort of been dancing around, which is how can you elevate a luxury brand? For example, Coach. Coach has been through a bunch of ebbs and flows, even within my life as a consumer. How do you take a luxury brand and make it higher luxury? So one thing you do is you stop discounting a lot. And that's something that Coach has, within these ups and downs, been all in on and a little less in on. And now they're saying they're going to pull back on that quite a bit. And so that's one part. And that is both in terms of vibes, because when you start discounting, it gives the brand less of an exclusive feel to it. And it also just makes it actually more expensive, of course. And so it makes it feel like a higher end brand. Sure. Sky, anything to add to that? So I think the product themselves are key. And that depends a lot on the creative talent of the designer or creative director behind the label. We did a consumer survey for our report on luxury goods and product quality and designer appearance were the top factors that influence luxury purchase decisions among our respondents. And we've seen that over and over again over the course of the years, relatively forgotten or uncool legacy brands being reinvigorated by new talent. And beyond the talent, it's also getting influencers and celebrities to buy into the brand or actually just wear the brand. So Jimmy Choo flies influencers out to Saint-Tropez to promote their summer collection. And then they share images and build up the brand. Literally every single one of these companies in their quarterly earnings will talk about who they've dressed during the quarter. So getting celebrities and building the brand by getting famous people to wear these these designers presents this, builds this aura. I think it's interesting you bring this up because there's a recent headline about, did you see that Kanye West and Gap are ending their partnership or their relationship? So it's definitely a bet, especially when it comes to celebrities, can go really well and can also sort of crash and burn. Yeah, you've got to be careful about who you dress. All right. We've talked through what luxury is and how it's subcategorized and where it might be headed. We're going to talk in the second half about what specific brands are up to. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Akinio. Akinio. 
When it comes to creating great customer experiences, success is in the details. Akinio makes it possible to create consistent, engaging product stories across channels and touch points, so you can give customers a deeper product experience, accelerate time to market, and drive revenue. In today's omni-channel world, Akinio allows you to orchestrate the flow of every product detail at every step of the buyer journey. Learn more at akinio.com. That's A-K-E-N-E-O.com. All right, welcome back from the break. Now it's time for pop-up rankings, where we take a look at specific examples and we rank them. This week, I'm asking Sky and Zach to share their top four examples of luxury brands that are expanding their reach. Sky, you go first. Sure. My first pick is Balenciaga because when I think of a luxury brand that's really become part of the broader cultural conversation and seems to be everywhere at once, Balenciaga is a brand that keeps coming up. It's owned by the French luxury conglomerate Caring. And its creative director, Demna, who goes by the single name now, has been at the helm for about seven years. And he's really pushing the boundaries of where luxury lives and what luxury is. He's collaborated with a range of cultural icons. We talked about celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, the biggest names. He did a fashion show that included an animated fashion show with The Simpsons. And he really has also explored like how luxury is going to live in spaces like the metaverse and games through some of their activations, like creating a fashion show that was a game during the pandemic, as well as uh, working with Fortnite on a collection that was both real world clothing and virtual skins. And sometimes that's controversial. Like recently, he's put out these very distressed sneakers and leather, actually leather trash bags that still sell for luxury prices. But The way he generates interest and conversation and kind of turns the luxury into part of culture is really interesting to me. This is an audio medium, so people can't see those Balenciaga sneakers. I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. They look like they are trash. They look like old sneakers. And I don't know much about luxury at all. So the fact that I can immediately identify that pair of sneakers means that people are definitely talking about it. Right. Or we've all seen Kim Kardashian dressed head to toe black at the Met Gala last year. Absolutely. All right, Zach, I'm looking at you for our next example of a luxury brand expanding its reach. Yeah, so um, Tiffany is an interesting one because Tiffany is an example of one of these brands that is sought to elevate its brand. And one thing that it's done is it opened a pop-up in Paris that showcases pieces from throughout its 185-year history. And it's kind of a weird, interesting hybrid of an exhibit and a boutique. And so when you go to this pop up. First, you see the historic pieces from, you know, 185 years ago, then from 50 years ago and whatnot. But then as you move through, you see the current collection. And so it's showcasing what you can buy right now. And then you end up in a high end space where you can have like a one on one consultation. So it's finding an interesting way to kind of reinvent the brand while also showcasing the brand's history. 
If any of our podcast producers want to pay to send me to the Tiffany pop-up in Paris, they're more than welcome to. Um, Zach, I am going to put you on the spot with a follow-up there. What you're describing seems really cool, but it also seems completely inaccessible. Can a brand like Tiffany stay high-end while also appealing to younger consumers? Yeah, by doing what Tiffany has always done well, which is having approachable pieces and then higher end pieces. And you it, you do have to strike a delicate balance where the approachable pieces aren't too low end. That's really not the right term, but, you know, too approachable. Mm-hmm. You want it to be exclusive and a little bit of a stretch, but a stretch that you can manage. Fair. Okay. Sky, we've heard our top two examples of luxury brands expanding their reach. Give me a third one. I'm going to talk about Chanel and its kind of counterintuitive strategy for growth. So Chanel is known as one of the big holdouts when it comes to e-commerce. You know, during the pandemic, we saw luxury brands go online in a big way and invest very heavily in e-commerce. And Chanel has not taken that route, at least not for its main fashion categories. You can't buy a Chanel handbag online. You have to go to a store. However, one area where it really has shifted to online is beauty and selling more beauty direct to consumer. And that's helped to offset some of the losses of beauty sales from travel retail channels like Duty Free. In its most recent earnings presentation, Chanel reported that its beauty e-commerce sales grew by more than 30% last year. And it also opened more than 50 standalone stores with the view that its beauty business could be majority D2C within a few years. And that's a big shift. And so I think we'll see other luxury brands looking to expand into the beauty category or take back control of it, as opposed to the standard luxury brand beauty line, which is licensed. That makes sense, because I would guess that a lot of Chanel's beauty competitors are already direct to consumer. All right, Zach, take us home with our final example. Yeah, so a brand that I think has always done this fairly well is Louis Vuitton. Um, and they find different ways to reach people. And what they're doing right now is they have a traveling exhibition called 200 Trunks, 200 Visionaries, where they have a really diverse array of so-called friends of the house put their own spin on the trademark trunk. And the different friends of the house are really super interesting. So there's Gloria Steinem. There's Lego, there's Frank Gehry, there's Marc Jacobs. And so it's it's actually really fun just to poke around. You can see them all online. And as you do, you really just get exposed to the brand and the brand ethos. And that's really what it's all about is building up what this is and why it is. And that's something Louis Vuitton has just always done exceptionally well. I feel like all of these examples I sort of have a similar question about, which is just like these brands, they're doing really cool things, but they're trying to maintain exclusivity. And I wonder if that hurts their ability to reach younger consumers. That said, I mean, Balenciaga in the metaverse and with gaming and with The Simpsons, I'm assuming young people still like The Simpsons because I think I'm young people and I love The Simpsons. Uh, That's a cool example, but like... Doing less e-commerce, I'm not sure how that reaches younger consumers. I think it's a really good point. And I think also it's just planting that seed in a younger consumer's head 
that then can foster as they actually get money so they can afford to buy whatever it is that they're seeking to buy. But just exposing them to the brand and, and exposing them to the ethos is, is actually like a really important first step. Right. It's creating the aspiration and stimulating the desire for later on. And ultimately, they want to bring consumers into the stores where they can, you know, create a whole experience around the brand and its products and the customer service. And they'll continue to do that. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. I just looked up the Louis Vuitton Lego bag and it looks so cool. I would definitely buy it. Uh, Thanks for being here, Skye. Thanks for having me, Sarah. And thank you, Zach. Yeah, thank you. Sky's report on luxury retail just dropped and subscribers can check that out at insiderintelligence.com. If you like our podcast, you should head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify where you're probably already listening to this and give us a rating, give us a review. I want to read your comments. Also, we're on Instagram now at behind the numbers underscore podcast. If you ever wondered what me, Marcus and our other hosts look like, there might be pictures of us on the Instagram. Thank you to our listeners and to Victoria who edits the podcast when she's not reorganizing her millions of dollars of luxury merchandise. Victoria, I made you sound fancy here. We'll be back Wednesday with another episode of Reimagining Retail, an e-marketer podcast made possible by Akinio. And you can tune in tomorrow as Marcus brings you another episode of the Behind the Numbers Daily, an e-marketer podcast. Come on.